Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 7, so if you have your Bibles, please turn there. And while you're turning there, I'm going to just put up a, a help wanted ad here. For, for all you uh, millennials and younger, this is what the help wanted ad used to look like. It's a newspaper. Okay, so messenger wanted. God of the universe seeks young person. No experience necessary. God will train. Travel required anywhere and to anyone God sends you. Pay will be very low. Spouse or family not permitted. Occupational hazards include opposition, ridicule, frightening faces, and risk of death. No one will listen to you and you will be discouraged and want to quit. 40-year contract required. Anybody a taker for this job? No one will listen to you and you'll be discouraged and want to quit. Well, one person took that job and that was the prophet Jeremiah. He had a very interesting call to ministry. And I'm going to, just as an introduction to today's teaching, give you an idea of what that call was like. If you put up Jeremiah chapter 1, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am here, I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy and throw down, to build and to plant. Interesting call to ministry, no doubt. He was called to ministry when he was just a youth, probably in his mid-teens. And it was during the uh, 13th year of King Josiah. And as we go through the study through the kings, we know that he was one of the few godly kings that the nation of Judah had. Not too long before Jeremiah came on the scene, King Josiah had led a spiritual revival of the nation. Believe it or not, they had lost the word of God. And during Josiah's early reign, they had found a copy of the scriptures And they had rejoiced and he had led this revival of the nation, brought people back to the word of God and to the worship of him. And 
the only thing was it was shallow and it was insincere. You see, Josiah was very well loved and he was a godly king. The problem is that the people were doing it more for Josiah than they really were for the Lord. They, you see, they loved Josiah, King Josiah, more than God. And right away I see something very important for us as Christians, as believers. And that is to make sure that our devotion as Christians isn't to a church leader or a pastor or a denomination or to a religious group, but our devotion is to the Lord and the Lord alone. And that's really the topic of the message today. A little more background about the prophet Jeremiah. After King Josiah's death, the nation of Judah quickly declined spiritually and economically. And Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet because he looked at the decline of the nation and it brought him to tears. You know, I see a parallel here also for us in this country. You know, at, at our founding, we were, we were, you know, it was a godly foundation in this country. And how far we have drifted from that. It should bring us to tears to see what's going on in this, in this nation. And we can tell by God's words to Jeremiah that the Lord Himself did not take pleasure in, in giving Jeremiah that difficult message of judgment, of judgment for the nation. He would much rather that they, have re- they had repented and turned back to Him. And the same is true for us. You know, with our relationship with the Lord, He doesn't want to judge us. He doesn't want to discipline us. He would much rather we turn back to Him before that judgment comes. If Jeremiah's words of warning were heeded and the people did turn back to the Lord, the Lord may, may well have relented in His judgment. The name Jeremiah means whom Jehovah has appointed. And we see throughout his ministry, throughout the the book of Jeremiah, we see the Lord's hand on Jeremiah and his guidance on Jeremiah. And it had to be that the Lord appointed him because of the difficult message that he had to deliver because he remained faithful. He remained faithful through everything that he experienced. And isn't that the same for us? You know, unless the Lord's hand is upon us, unless the Lord appoints us, and unless the Lord anoints us, we really can't accomplish anything for His kingdom. It says in 2 Corinthians one twenty one, Paul writes, Now He who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us and is God. So God anoints the believer to do the work, to do the job, to do the ministry that he calls him to. God's purposes will be established through us as we understand his anointing on our lives. And you know, we have that choice. We can take that anointing, we can take that responsibility, and we can toss it aside, or we can go forward into what he has for us even even when we meet opposition to what God has called us to. Because his call is rarely easy. But wherever he calls, he also will equip. 
Jeremiah's call was to go to whomever God would send him and deliver the message that God would put into his mouth. How interesting it is that Jeremiah did not speak his own words, but he spoke as thus says the Lord to the people. He spoke the words that the Lord gave him. You know, again, you know, as, as your pastors or ministry leaders, our job is not to sort of give you our opinion. My old pastor used to say, uh, opinions are like belly buttons. Everyone has one. Why would I need yours? We don't give your, our opinions here. We give you as the Lord speaks to and through us, we give you the Lord's words. And his message was, yes, to all the surrounding nations around Israel at the time, but more importantly, it was to the nation of Judah. You know, it was a divided nation. He was speaking... Uh, King Josiah was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, and his message was to them specifically in addition to those outside. See, God is faithful to warn his people. It says in 1 Peter 4.17, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will it be? What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And in Hebrews 12:6, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So you see, believer, that God is speaking to us, warning us, church, of coming judgment if we don't abide in his word. See, Jeremiah's task was not an easy one. He had to pronounce God's judgment on the nation for the iniquity of the people. But as we look around the church, can't we see that God could be also speaking to us? Pray, pray that it doesn't happen here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields, that we are led and guided by God's Spirit, that we don't, don't fall into those same traps but there are many ministries, so-called ministries out there, so-called churches out there, so-called ministers and preachers who do fall into that trap and preach false teaching. And why do they do that? I think mostly because God gives them a specific message for the people and they say, you know what, this message is too difficult. They, they aren't going to receive it. And they decide to go off script, so to speak, and start to preach what they know the people really want to hear. But are we faithful? Are we faithful as believers in the face of persecution and opposition and rejection to not only preach God's Word, but to heed God's Word? The first part of the book of Jeremiah records several of his sermons given in Jerusalem and in many of them, he's rebuking the people as well as the religious and political leaders for their sins, especially the sin of idolatry, which in the Hebrew is translated hevel, which is the same word used for vanity. Idolatry and vanity can be the same thing because God is saying if you're putting your affections on anything other than him, then you're chasing after vain things. You're chasing after empty things. As Christians, our focus needs to be on God and His plan for our life. I love the, 
the songs that we sang today, but a pure and holy passion. I love that. Our passion needs to be for the Lord. Those words are, give me one pure and holy passion, one magnificent obsession, one glorious ambition for my life, to know and follow hard after you. As believers, that should be our passion. That should be our devotion, our obsession with God. He will always send someone to warn us, but it's always up to us also to heed those warnings or to ignore them. How grateful are we that God does send us warning signs and opportunities to choose righteousness instead of sin. So Jeremiah continues to deliver this same message to the same people several times over and over again because they just didn't get it. And before we ridicule them for their slowness to respond, we, I think, can look inside each of us and say maybe we fall into that category too sometimes. Maybe we don't like to hear those things that are in God's Word, the message that's coming to us, because it's too difficult to apply to our lives. And not only just as individuals, but as a church. Do we heed God's Word? Do we pray for the guiding of the Holy Spirit? Or do we reject those things? The word backslide is a word that I never even heard before I was a believer. And backsliding is used several times throughout the book of Jeremiah. It speaks about a believer who by their own choice reverses direction and stops following God, stops being obedient to the Word. So there are times throughout our Christian life that we have maybe fallen into that backsliding situation. We can see that today as Christians become influenced by the things of the world and decide that it's just easier to go with the flow of the world than it is to continue to follow God. And it is. It's easier to go with the flow of the world. But God's calling us not to the easy things. In 1 John 2.15, John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now the world he's speaking of is the world system, that wicked system that the world runs by. It's not the people in the world, or it's not the, it's not the physical planet of the world, but it's the system that, that is running things. Not only does Jeremiah use the word backslide, he uses the word repent 11 times, and the nation never repented. Remember, his ministry was a 40-year ministry where no one listened. How would we remain faithful throughout that? How difficult that, that might be. He used the word repent 11 times. And like backslide, before I was a Christian, I didn't really even think about the word repent. I didn't have a context to use it in my life. Bef- now as a, as a Christian for m- many years, I've come to know the word uh, because daily I have to repent. Daily I have to look at my life and see where I may have to turn back to God to turn from those things that are maybe self-directed those things that are not pleasing to him so Jeremiah's ministry may have been considered a failure in today's 
standard. You know, uh, nobody followed him. Nobody listened to him. But he remained faithful. See, our ministry success or failure isn't measured by numbers. And many times we get caught up in this numbers game and miss the true calling that the, word, that the Lord has for us, which is to deliver the truth and to allow Him to do the work. You know, one waters, the Bible said, one seeds, and God brings forth the increase. Be faithful to do whatever the Lord's calling you to do, believer, and then let, and then let Him do the work. Let Him bring forth that increase. And we don't worry about the results. And in Jeremiah 1.19, we get to see the people's response. It says, They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. Boy, did Jeremiah need that right at the beginning of his call into ministry, even before he understood exactly what his ministry would be like. But he needed that word of comfort, that word of reassurance, and encouragement from God that I'm going to be with you. And as we move forward into what God has for us, we know that He will be with us if we go according to His perfect will. So, Jeremiah chapter 7. Now, Jeremiah chapter 7 and Jeremiah chapter 26 really are nearly identical records of this temple sermon. Some commentators think it might be two separate sermons, but just from the reading through of it, it seems as though they're the same sermons preached from maybe two different angles. Chapter 7 is more of a play-by-play, and chapter 26 is more color commentary for you sports fans out there. And what chapter 26 also does is it, it gives the people's reaction to Jeremiah's message. That's very interesting. But the subject matter of the, of the both of them is the same. That is, don't put your faith in rituals. Don't put your faith in church history or traditions or programs or the events that your church has because they can't save you. As a matter of fact, they may actually distract you. They may actually distract you from a true, deep, relationship with the Lord. Remember, our passion needs to be for God. And if that happens, if we start to go off course, God will be faithful to get our attention to refocus on Him. And this can happen as an individual believer. It can happen as a a ministry. And it can happen as a church. So we need to be always on guard, listening for the Lord. The temple sermon was preached to mainly to the religious people of that day. And because Jeremiah preached it right at the gate of the temple, not in the streets of Jerusalem, but at the gate of the temple, God's audience for that was those who called themselves believers, churchgoers. Sometimes we get the idea that God's judgment is only for the unbelieving world, those wicked people outside these doors. But many times God has a message for us, for our sin, for where we might be going off track. And God knows that we can't look to a political leader or even so-called religious leaders because 
Many times they're corrupt also. So we need to hear from the Lord to guide us back. So jumping in in Jeremiah 7, verses 1 and 2. It says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah, who enter at the, in at these gates to worship the Lord. So next week, Pastor Joe will be in the lobby. And as you walk in the doors, he's going to start preaching as soon as you get in. Not going to get comfortable. You're not going to get your own, your regular seat. You're not going to be able to say hello to everybody. He's just going to start right there out in the lobby. That's what it was like. Preach at the gate of the temple. As people are coming in to worship, I want you to speak my words to them. Don't let them get comfortable. Let them be a little uncomfortable sometimes. Don't we get a little too comfortable, church, sometimes? Get their attention immediately, he's trying to say. In chapter 26, verse 2, I think we have that, which is the other account of this same message. It says, Thus say, say the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah which come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words I command you to speak to them, do not diminish a word. I find it interesting that they're going to church. They're coming out. They're coming to worship. So it seems as though church attendance is not really... That's not all he's looking for. Just coming out and kind of stamping your, your time card that you were there for that day. They were coming out to worship. But notice what he tells Je uh, Jeremiah here. He told him, all the words I command you to speak to them do not diminish a word. So Jerem he's telling Jeremiah here, don't edit my words. Don't say... Think to yourself, oh, that's going to hurt somebody's feelings or that's not politically correct. So I'm not going to speak those words. He's telling Jeremiah, don't edit my words. Speak everything that I tell you. Do not diminish. So as, as teachers of the Word of God, we need to be faithful. We have a responsibility to preach what is written and teach it according to the interpretation that the Lord gives us by the Holy Spirit. Not our own interpretation. See, because false teachers will come and will twist the Scriptures for their own means and disregard what the Bible is really saying. But it's not just for pastors and teachers and ministry leaders. It's for all of us as believers. We have that same responsibility. We can't become what people may call cafeteria Christians, where we kind of pick and choose those things of, uh, that we like in the Bible and disregard the parts that we don't like. See, the entirety of the Scriptures is God-inspired, is God-breathed. It's God's words, and it's all of it. That's why I love at Calvary, Calvary Chapel that we don't avoid we don't neglect any book of the Bible. We teach through. You stay here long enough, you're going to hear from Genesis to Revelation. We won't omit anything. And that's really what God wants. Acts 20, 
verses 26 and 27, Paul's explaining here what he, what he did as a preacher. He told the Ephesian elders that if anyone finds himself separated from God, he wasn't to blame. He says, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, the entirety of what God spoke to him, he gave to the people. He didn't leave anything out because it was too difficult. He didn't add anything in to make it sound more palatable or more appealing to the people. So God's word has everything that pertains to life and godliness. What else would we need? Going further in Jeremiah's temple sermon in verses 3 and 4 of, of Jeremiah 7, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. What is Jeremiah saying here? What is God saying? He's saying here that people were trusting in the temple. People were trusting in tradition. They were trusting in those rites and rituals and not really trusting in God. See, their heart wasn't on God. Their heart was on the things of the temple. And that's why he didn't want us to make an image or an icon of him because he knows our tendencies. He knows our tendency would be to worship that thing created by the hands of man instead of the one who created everything. See, they had a distorted view of the temple. They had a distorted view of the safety and security that God would provide them in that temple. And we can never, as Christians, get arrogant in our view of sin, thinking that God would never discipline us because we gather here in this church or we're a member of a certain denomination or we follow a certain preacher. We must never get arrogant in that, in thinking that. Moving on in verses 5 through 7. It says, for if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Boy, is that God's grace? right there in those verses. Is that God's grace? If we follow His ways, if we love God, if we love our neighbor, then our relationship with Him will be obvious. It will be evident in what we do and who our devotion is given to. And notice God's heart. He seems to be pleading with the people. He's saying, if you amend your ways, He's saying, please amend your ways. Do not do these evil things. And then he says, I will cause you to dwell in this place 
I will give you peace and safety. I will give you everything that your heart desires. You know, it says in the New Testament that we should, we should consider Him first. We should love God first above all things. And you know, God desires that nobody would perish also. So you can hear the anguish almost in the voice of God as spoken to Jeremiah saying, perhaps someone will listen. Perhaps someone will hear my words and turn from his evil ways. How patient God is. His patience is evident in 2 Peter 3 where Peter writes in verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness. You know, they're talking about the coming of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus and how long it, they, they felt at that time it was. You know, and that, we're looking back 2,000 years how slack some people think, you know, when is he coming? But he's long-suffering. Peter, Peter writes, but he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I thank him that he was long-suffering in my life. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't hear the truth until many, many years later. And I thank him that he was slack, so to speak, that he was long-suffering in that because it gave me an opportunity to, to come to him and probably many of you the same. Jeremiah 7 verses 8 through 11 says, Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Has this house which is called by my name become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. God doesn't want us to live one way on Sunday here at church and like something else the rest of the week. Our walk needs to be consistent that people can see that we follow Jesus Christ. Or we can legitimately be called hypocrites. Imagine us stealing, murdering, committing adultery, lying, worshiping other gods. I mean, basically breaking all ten commandments six days a week and then coming into church Sunday morning, hey, brother, hey, sister, praise the Lord. God is so gracious. How hypocritical. So he's saying here, you can't do that and then come in through these doors and act like you have a free ride because of God's grace. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. This brings it into the New Testament and into our lives today. He's talking about God's grace. You know, the book of Romans is mainly about God's grace. But he writes here in verse 1 of chapter 6, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. 
How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So what is Paul saying here? You have received God's grace, Christian. You have been saved. You have been, your sins have been washed clean. So now do you go out and sin in this world thinking, I've been, I've been cleansed. And the more, the more I sin, the more God's grace will be evident in my life. What kind of warped thinking is that? See, we were buried with Christ, it says in the Scriptures. And the baptism that we perform here and many other churches perform is a picture of that, of the old man being buried with Christ under the water and then being raised up to newness of life. You see, because in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That, that risen person coming up into newness of life is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Amen to that. Behold, all things have become new. You, believer, are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Why are you living like your old, your old self? That old man is dead. Don't try to revive him. Don't give him CPR. Let him die. That's not you anymore. Back to Jeremiah 7. In verse 12 through 15, finishing up the passage for today. But go now to my place, God says, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And now because you have done all these works, says the Lord, I, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called you, but you did not answer, Therefore I will do to the house which is called by my name in which you trust and to this place which I gave you and your fathers as I have done in Shiloh and I will cast you out of my sight as I have cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. What's God saying here? If you want to do a Bible search on Shiloh, it's interesting. We see it's it mentioned several times in the Old Testament where God had originally set up His place of worship. It was the dedicated place for the people to come and worship the Lord. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And then we see no mention of it. After a certain amount of time and mentions in the Scriptures. Why? The people began to take that whole place, that whole relationship very lightly with God. And remember when they took the Ark of the Covenant out into battle and they thought it was going to be a good luck charm for them? That was God's presence. And yet they, they distorted it 
and they desecrated the place of worship, and God judged them for it. But, but notice if you, do, if you do a search into the original language, the word Shiloh means a place of rest. A place of rest. Shouldn't this place be a place of rest? Shouldn't when we gather together in worship and in the, in the studying of the Word, shouldn't it be a place of comfort and peace and rest? But not because we only hear pleasant things, but because we hear the truth. There should be com something comforting about learning about God and allowing Him to guide us and direct our steps in this life because we know He has the best plans for us. And that could be telling us we're going the wrong way. Not always pleasant things, but truthful things. Speaking the truth in love. And then as we go back and look at the end of Jeremiah chapter 26, or the middle of that sermon in verses 7 and 8. Remember I told you chapter 7 was kind of the play-by-play -play and chapter 26 was the color commentary and it also gave the people's response and the people's reaction to Jeremiah's message. It says, So the priests and prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord now it happened when Jeremiah had made an end of the speaking and that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people that the priests and the prophets and the people seized him saying, you will surely die. <laughs> Don't kill the messenger. It basically means just because you don't like the message doesn't mean that you get rid of the person who's delivering it. But that's exactly what the people wanted to do. They were going to take Jeremiah out and they were going to kill him for the message that he brought to them. It was God's word. It was God's message. It was actually God's grace. It was God's warning to the people. Is God telling us as believers or us as a church the same thing? And as we sort of make some application here today, I want us to look at the opposition to Jeremiah's message. Because there were three people who opposed this, this message. There was three people, three groups of people who wanted to kill him. First was the priests. Now that kind of doesn't make sense. Why would the religious leaders want the prophet of God dead? Why would they want to kill him? Well, my thinking is, because of what, what God says in, in this message and in what Jesus says later on in the New Testament, that the religious leaders had a, probably a good thing going in the temple. They were probably making a handsome living and they were probably fleecing the people and they didn't want that to end. I'm sure they took several collections throughout the worship services. Like many churches will do, they have a collection for this. They have a collection for that. They have the priest discretionary fund that you don't really know what happens to that money. And so they probably had a good thing going. So the priests came against Jeremiah saying, you're going to put an end to 
what we have in the temple here and we don't like what you're saying. Jeremiah's, the second group that opposed Jeremiah was the prophets. Now what prophets would oppose another prophet except a false prophet? These would be the false prophets who were giving a false message because the message that they wanted to deliver was what? Was a positive message, an uplifting message and that the people all felt good after they heard it and that they would, that they would just you know, give the prophet all these accolades because his messages were so pleasant and so sweet. But Jeremiah was speaking something completely different. You know, sometimes God has to use a prophet or use you as a believer to speak difficult things into people's lives. And we need to be faithful to do that. See, the prophets didn't want to hear the truth because it might have caused them to actually look inside themselves and do an examination of where they were at with the Lord. And then, God's, and then Jeremiah's opposition also came from the people. Just the everyday working class people went to church on Sunday, and, but really didn't take their relationship with God that seriously. It was more of a kind of a relationship of convenience. And their trust was in the building and the rituals and the programs but they really didn't hear God speaking to, into their lives. You know, they were very comfortable. Is that the state of the church? And I can, I'll, I'll only say maybe in America in 2016. It might be. It might be where many churches are, where many believers are. Just very comfortable in that relationship, but not wanting to hear the truth. Are we just going through the motions? Are we just coming out on Sunday to kind of punch our time card? Not really getting deeper in our relationship with Him. And where are our affections? And where are our priorities? Before I finish up, I want to show a quick video. Because this kind of... It speaks to the same thing. It kind of gives a a modern-day look at where our affections could be. This young man, Amari, was obsessed with the hip-hop scene. In his life, he emulated everything about that culture, especially the fashion. Now, he went to church. He was a churchgoer. He was a professed believer. But he was putting that culture, that hip-hop culture, before God. He was holding back from God to make sure he could afford to live and dress like those he was following. He was really following the culture. And his relationship with the Lord was on the outskirts. It was on the peripheral. And he was, he was pursued by God, but he was pursued by God through people and through messages. And he was convicted of his choices. And so watch the video and see, see, what, uh, see what he has to say, this young man. Notice he said there, there was an emptiness. Everything he was pursuing, everything he was putting his passion is into, he found was vain, was empty. And remember, that word backslide 
speaks of that same thing. What are, you search, what, are you, what are you putting your affections on? What are you searching after? What are you putting all of your attention in? And it w- is it vain things? Is it emptiness? As we close up, a couple of lessons from this t- sem- uh, sermon in the temple. And remember, this was to believers we need to have a proper view of the church, proper view of the temple. Remember, Jeremiah said, don't trust in these lying words saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Don't trust in the lying words that the enemy will put into your head that says you're a, you're a church member, you're a churchgoer, you're, you're in, involved in a ministry, you may be even doing good works. Don't trust in those things. Trust only in your relationship with the Lord. The people in Judah were putting all their faith, all their trust in that temple relationship. You know, I was in a denomination that my relationship with the Lord was really a relationship with the church at one time. I had no connection, personal connection with Jesus Christ. It was, it was always through the church. It was always through the denomination. And that's not what God wants. He wants a relationship with you and with me, one-on-one. And the church is not this building, remember. The church is not the programs or the ministries. It's the people. Now, we can do church anywhere as long as it's guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as long as the people are devoted to God and His purposes. And that's when we have church. Not getting too comfortable and attached to the fringe stuff in modern Christianity. You know, the simplicity of the teaching of the Word of God and the people that follow after Him with passion. We don't want to miss out on that. And we can't live all week like the world and then come in on Sunday and think, That will make up for our sins. And the New Testament also teaches that Jesus Christ is the temple, the dwelling place of God in human flesh. In John 2.19 and 21, John writes, Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And that confused the religious leaders and the people of that time, you know, because it took 46 years to build the temple. How can you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking, verse 21, of the temple of his body. Our faith, if it's in Christ and the fact that he was raised from the dead, then that gives us access to God. And the Bible also teaches that as believers, we are the temple of God. Our our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6, It says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. That's our question. Are we glorifying God in all we do? Or are we desecrating the temple where he dwells by our actions? That's only something that we, each individual person, can look inside 
and pray for God to reveal to him. And we need to have an accurate place for our hope. Where is our hope? Is our hope in the church? Is our hope in the denomination? Is our hope in a, in a pastor or a teacher or a preacher? Is, a hope in, or is our hope in a ministry or is it in the Lord and not in those external things? And even if we are involved in ministry and those good works which we do, which which are evidence of our relationship with the Lord. It's actually an outpouring of our relationship with the Lord. We can't make that our main focus. And lastly, as we saw with this young man, Amari, does our lifestyle match our beliefs? Are they consistent? Are we consistent in our, in our behavior with what God expects for a child of his? Or do we send a mixed signal to the world? That's contrary to Jesus' life. You know, it's like a man who cheats or steals at work and then is constantly telling his co-workers about a relationship with Jesus. You know, you need to get saved. Well, those actions speak something different than what his words are saying. We need to be consistent. You know why? Because that, only puts us in a, that not only puts us in a bad light, it also puts our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ in a bad light because it'll make us look like a hypocrite and it will make Jesus look like he's not really the, the Lord of our life. He's not really leading and guiding us. So, as we close, don't kill the messenger. <laughs> You're going to hear a lot of things from this pulpit. We are faithful. I know Pastor Joe's vision is to be faithful in teaching the word no matter what it says even those difficult and convicting things. So you will hear those things spoken by all of the people who speak from this pulpit. But I want to close with this one verse, and that's in Ephesians 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. We speak the truth in love. We speak the truth that you may grow in your relationship with God, that we all may be totally dedicated, devoted, and that our passion may be for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.